Welcome to Founders and Friends with Scott Norn at Cruise Consulting. As part of our relaunch and bringing these onto the Cruise Consulting site, we're doing a best of series. This episode has Ed Aiden of Merch Bar. Ed founded and is the CEO of Merch Bar. They do incredible merchandise retailing online, and they just signed a huge deal with Spotify. So it's super exciting. You'll be able to listen to the podcast and then project forward and know in your head that Ed is absolutely kicking ass. And so maybe these are some good suggestions for you. Hope you enjoy. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Welcome, Ed Aiton, to the podcast. Yes. What's up? Our second episode. Episode two. Super excited for you to join. Now, for folks- Scott, hang on. Is this going to be closer to like the second Star Wars that was good? I mean, can we call this episode five? Is that okay with you? Did you just call Empire Strikes Back good? Empire Strikes Back is- Probably one of the best movies of all time. All right, good. As long as we're not, uh, what is it? It's not the Phantom Menace, but as long as we're not the no, new no, no. stuff. I, uh, can we be episode five? Is that okay? As far as I'm concerned, those movies don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. We've good. Got all right, on the Star same page Wars, here. Empire Strikes Back, Return of Jedi. The that's, fifth podcast. That's all that matters. <laughs> uh, wait, man. Thanks for joining. So um, we've been friends for a long time. I'm a huge fan of your company. I love what you're doing and want to have you on. And I was kind of planning on having you on over the next couple of months, but... You had a big announcement early in the week and necessitated an emergency podcast here. Emergency podcast. Uh, for the audience, they may not know, I am one of the biggest Pearl Jam fans of all time. And Ed did something amazing. We, uh, Yeah, we signed Pearl Jam this week. Launched them on the platform. Uh, all their merchandise. Big partnership with the 10 Club. Uh, awesome to work with those uh, guys. I, I couldn't believe it. I turned on my Facebook. Now, it's probably helpful. Let's, let's kind of take a step back and we'll get the Pearl Jam. Tell me about Merch Bar. Like, what do you guys do? How do you have the idea? Yeah, so we're the, uh, we're the online retailer for music merchandise. We're the one place to find and discover merch uh, from all your favorite bands, right? So merch can be anything, right? Any physical good. Um, obviously, like the classic things like T-shirts, hats, posters. Um, but limited edition, weird stuff, right? We have pinball machines. We have bass Pinball guitars. machines, wow. Yeah, we, we have a $30,000 pinball machine. Oh we haven't God. sold one yet. But uh, fingers crossed. I told the team, if we sell a pinball machine, we'll get one for the office. Do not tell my dad that, because my dad collects pinball machines. What, oh, what's the band for the, the pinball? The Rolling Stones. Oh, no. Yeah, the Stones <laughs> pinball machine. I don't think my dad has 30000 laying around, but if he did, he'd probably want to buy that pinball machine. Amazing. I'm, well, I'm totally in, and you know what? If it's for your dad, I'll throw in free shipping on that, <laughs> which, is, you know, which is not insignificant. Um, so we do that, and we do it for like every band, hopefully, in the world, right? Every, any band that has merchandise. So everyone from the Rolling Stones and uh, Led Zeppelin and Pearl Jam to like the Justin Bieber's, Lady Gaga's, and then like the whole other tier of like, you know, hip, cool bands, churches, phosphorescent, uh, dirty heads, people like that. So is it, is it kind of fair to say, I think this is an achievement by the way, that you, you have everybody, like pretty damn close to everybody in the music industry. Yeah, we are pretty damn close. That's That's amazing. the technical, yeah, when we sit down with MBAs, we put it on the PowerPoint, it says pretty damn close to everyone. <laughs> okay, so, just to take a step back, like you, you basically have an app or an e-commerce site and the super famous artists like Pearl Jam or Lady Gaga is like, hey, I can sell a lot more merchandise if, if my stuff's actually on a site that has a good shopping experience. That's beautiful. I think that's kind of the way it, it manifests itself um, to, the, to the end user. 
the way things are set up like in the industry is actually like very different than that, right? The music industry in many ways is super opaque and the way that like these things work is uh, is just very different, right? These artists for the most part, really with Pearl Jam being a, a notable exception, they sign deals with uh, with merchandise companies. So they, uh, they do a deal just kind of like a, a major deal with a label, right? Where they go in for a certain amount of time, whether it's a tour or a, uh, you know, an album release, that company will actually manufacture and represent them by the, by the rights to their, uh, their likeness and work with them to actually manufacture and distribute the merchandise. So a lot of our deals are actually with the merch companies, uh, which are companies, you know, right? Warner, Sony, uh, Live Nation, uh, uh, Universal, things like that. Um, and then, you know, the artists work with them and we all end up working together in kind of like a tripartite deal. Uh, with Pearl Jam being a notable exception, you know, those guys are uh, those guys are on their own kind of wavelength, have their own entire team uh, that's at the you know the top of their games. So we work directly with those guys for that one. That's awesome. And so, like when you had the idea, you I, I remember you giving me the pitch. And I was like, I we we went to concerts together. I went to a lot of concerts. I remember you kind of saying like, isn't it crazy that at the end of a concert you have to stand in line? And with like 20 or 30 people in front of you and you can never buy the t-shirt you want to buy. That was like the amazing jump for me. I was like, yeah, why is, why is that? Like, why can't I ever buy the concert t-shirt I want to buy? Well, I mean, if you like want to chop it up in terms of retail, you're talking about a store that is open in one city at a time for roughly like an hour and a half. I mean, that's like the worst store you could possibly make. Right. It's it's temporary. It's always has products that are out of stock. Um, And oh, yeah, it's like in the middle, like the the time that it's actually open is in the middle of the time you want to be doing something else. So you probably paid (laughs) hundreds of dollars to do. So, I mean, we we just thought about this and said, you know, this is crazy. And, you know, I think there's still going to be a lot of people that buy things at shows. I think there's still going to be, you know, a lot of great commerce that happens there. I think, by the way, there's a lot of things we can do to make it better. But, you know, the the fundamental idea of, like, this is your only opportunity to get the shirt. Like, okay, honey, like, you stay here and guard our spot on the floor. I'm going to go stand in line for 20 minutes and hope that they have a large in stock. We put people on the moon. We you can solve we can solve this problem, Scott. <laughs> we can solve it. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like when you say like you want to be doing something else, you want to be drinking a beer. Right. You want maybe you're tired, maybe the the finale blew your mind and you got to get home or relieve the babysitter or whatever it is. Maybe you're just trying to keep your shit together, right? <laughs> maybe you had a big show and you're just trying to keep it together. <laughs> that is very very true. So where where are you guys as a company? Like what's your stage? How you doing? What's, you know, obviously you signed Pearl Jam, but like Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, so we've, uh, you know, it's interesting. This, you know, this is a, a different kind of company than a lot of companies in the Valley, right? We have, um, you know, really serious intellectual property and property rights owners that we're working with. Uh, so it took us a long time to uh, to actually get out to market, right? The company's now been in the market for, you know, almost nine months at this point. Um, but we've been working on the company now for over two and a half years. Um, wow, I it, can't believe it's been that long. That's crazy. It's unbelievable. But, you know, that's how long it takes, you know. One of the, the, the big benefits that we have, right, is that we do have roughly everyone, right? We're still adding more people all the time. We're going to have another huge chunk of artists coming on next month, um, which is going to be really exciting. Maybe we can, you know, I'll be back for episode 85 at that point to talk about that. But, you know, it, it, it takes a long time to get these deals done, a long time to get these integrations done, which in many ways is a, a huge investment, but it's also a huge advantage, right? Yeah. I mean, it's very tough if you're going to, you know, try to come and do the exact same thing we are. Um, so, 
we're out there. It's been nine months and it's been fantastic. I mean, at this point we've been, you've had our app featured by Apple, something like, you know, 10, 11, 12 times, which is just amazing. I mean, that's like your dream. Like I'm a designer, you know, beyond being a CEO. So to have that kind of validation is fantastic. Um, and then it's, you know, just same, same. We just keep growing every month, right? I mean, it's just, it's what you dream of. Um, and it's great to see customers responding. You know, when you're a new company, when you're a new e-commerce company, getting those first customers coming back with their repeat purchases, people like emailing support that they were told about you by their friends. You know, those are the things that uh, they're just tremendously validating and fun especially after you worked on this like in the closet for two years, not being able to tell anyone. So uh, yeah, it's great, great time for the company. So you said two really interesting things there. You kind of dove into, I want to, let's make sure we come back to the second one. The first one was you've been featured in the app store like 12 times, Mm -hmm. which I saw from your Facebook feed. And I was like, holy cow, that's freaking crazy. How, like there's tons of entrepreneurs listening to this. Like, how do you do that? Other than being Steve Jobs, a legitimate child. Um, <laughs> that worked out well for you. Yeah. You know, I think there's a lot to this. And it's something that was very, this was not an, I mean, in, in many ways, it was not an accident. Right. And I think the the big takeaway that I'd say is, number one is the app store, even though it's this massive thing, it's run by people. And it's run by a pretty like small group of people that are really interested and interesting. So we spent a lot of time figuring out who the right person was to talk to and getting the right introduction to them. I mean, I think one of the things that we've done really well, uh, not just in, in kind of the Apple world, but all around is, you know, biz dev and partnerships and things like that, and really understanding the right person and the right way to get to that person. Um, and we spent an inordinate and obscene amount of time trying to figure out who to talk to is, and is this the right like, intro um, to them. Is this like LinkedIn stalking? Is this like hanging out in the Apple cafeteria? Like, how do you do this? Oh, this is basically doing a network map of every single person we know who's had an app that's been featured in the app store mm. and talking to them about who they talked to to, uh, to get smart. like a, a layout of what the team looks like. And then working with them to see like what their relationships are with these people and figuring out like what the right way to get connected with them is. And it wasn't easy, by the way. I mean, when we launched, we were not featured. It was only after our our second update. So I think number one is, you know, it is one of those things where if you go to the wrong person in the wrong way, I mean, it's a pretty small team. It can just, you can just be with the wrong person and you can have a great app and it could just, you know, just not get in the right hands. They have so much volume. You know, you just want, it's not an issue of like, you know, turf war. It's just an issue of like, we're talking about like a very small team that's literally dealing with like hundreds of thousands of apps. So you just got to get it in front of the right person at the right time. The other thing is, and this is like really simple, but it's always surprising to people. I think when we talk about it so directly is Apple really cares about Apple and they want to support their ecosystem, right? I mean, one of the big pitches that Apple has and has always had is this is like a closed system that works. Yep. So the more things you're doing that support their bigger goal, the better off you're going to be, right? So if, if you're just doing like vanilla stuff that could work on any platform that doesn't integrate any of the things they're doing, it's probably going to be less compelling to them than like, for example, we were one of the very first companies to integrate Apple Pay. 
right? Oh, you know, we integrated Apple Pay smart, because, I mean, by the way, we love Apple Pay. We were the first people to share, you know, numbers about it. You know, it was, it was unbelievable. You know, Tim Cook's up during, you know, uh, WWDC and he's actually showing like the 2x conversion rates. We were the first people to like share that number, right? I mean, we're big believers in Apple Pay ourselves just from the get-go. But you know, doing things like that that support their goals, I think that's gonna, you know, that's gonna resonate with them. And the good news is I think a lot of those things are gonna help you anyway. So you should think about doing them already. But th that's at a high level, that's how we think you about it. You said something which I think is really wise, which is you weren't featured right away. And I think a lot of times people have like, they look at it and they're like, oh, there's the magic pill. Like I will build my app and then I'll get featured in the app store. And that's like, that, is, that doesn't happen. That's not like how life works. Right. One of the reasons I'm super proud of you is like you built this app and you iterated many, many times to get to something beautiful, to get to something that works, to get to something people really love. That's when you started getting featured. It wasn't like, hey, I, I got an MVP out there and Apple's going to feature it, right? It's like the real deal. And you worked to get to an app that was good enough to be featured. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about Apple here, right? I mean, their their bar, their baseline is uh, is very high. Um, and, and, you know, they, but they also, like, they really want you to do great stuff. I mean, you know, so I guess I won't go super deep into it because I'm not, they're, they're pretty, like, serious about what should stay in their, like, developer world versus, yeah. like, the general public. Yeah. But, I mean, I'll say they were directly helpful to us in making the app better between, you know, the first and second half. And I think, that's a huge benefit. There's a lot of resources out there from Apple themselves and in the Apple community that if you like just dig in a little bit past the surface, they're interested in helping you. Um, so I would definitely encourage people to do that as well. I mean, if you have something that, that you think is working, but you're not exactly sure what, um, th there's a bunch of resources out there that you can dig into that, uh, that'll help you take it to the next level. And I think so, like, just to recap that a little bit, like you made a great point that Apple is really people. And the people behind the iTunes store are really people who love their job, who want to promote really great apps and being creative and figuring out how to reach them and bring something to them that's really interesting is kind of your first jump. And then the second jump is like building something awesome, not just kind of slacking it, throwing it out there. Like, and then yep. thirdly, making sure it's consistent with App Apple's ecosystem, like something that works for them, that they want to promote. Yep. I like that a lot. The second thing I wanted to come back to is you talked a lot about business development and most consumer startups don't ever have to deal with business development. Like it's, it's not, it's just like they don't do it. So you typically see business development people in enterprise companies where they're, you know, trying to do a partnership with Salesforce or Google or Microsoft, whatever. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like what's worked for you on the business development side? Cause, cause at some level you've got like this consumer facing business, the front end and then, but to get supply, you're like almost like a marketplace to get supply. You have to do all these crazy big business development deals. Like how did you, how did you do that? How did you know how to do that? Who helped you do that? Yeah, the insight or the 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 maybe not the insight the the horrific experience that informed this decision was my <laughs> first startup. Um, you know, I, I had this startup called Swift uh, Swift FM, which I actually realized last night I should try to sell that domain to Taylor Swift. So oh, Taylor, man. Taylor, if you're listening to this podcast, I've got a great domain for you. If you're not going to be on Apple Music, if you're not going to be on Spotify, you should start Swift FM. I've got it right here. Like we can work something out. And the good news is I can confirm she's a listener. Okay. So you're good. So good. Taylor, All right. just, just shoot me an email and we'll, we'll hook Scott you Scott can connect us. He's got my number. Um, but, you know, working through that, we were basically a social network for music. We were a lot like what SoundCloud is today, but, you know, this is now like four or five years ago. And we saw 
Luckily, not super firsthand, but close enough how fucking serious it is to like play by the rules of the IP owners. You know, I think that there's, if I'm just being candid, you know, there is a group of people at the labels, and I'm actually pretty supportive of the labels overall. I mean, they think, and especially for someone in tech, I mean, people would call me, they'd probably, you know, say bad things about me about yeah, how much I yeah. really deeply think the labels provide value. Obviously, they have problems, but I think there's a lot of good things they do too. You know, there are groups of people in those organizations that are lawyers that are really in business development. They're out to like find people that are infringing on their materials and get money from them. Kind of like the original patent troll style, you yeah, know? Well, yeah, okay, I mean, if, uh, all right. By the way, I'm not afraid to go there. The One of my friends worked for Napster back in the day, and he his like, I, I'm gonna butcher this quote, but he's like, the music labels are run by evil lawyers who just wanna screw you. Like, he's like, they're, he's like you don't think there's evil people out there? but there's evil people out there. So, okay, this is really easy to say when you are stealing people's that's shit. That's true. By the way, that's true. He will readily admit that they were taking liberties. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not taking liberties. Like, if you, you know, the thing that I will say, I have empathy for the labels that almost no one else does, is to them, it was very black and white. And these are people that are like, oh, you know, you too. Like, okay, I'm going to give you... $10 million up front. I write it the check and sliding it across the table. And then other people are stealing that stuff. That's a great point. You know, they could have handled it in a different way, obviously. But I think there's, you know, some irrational response that gets, uh, you know, part of this because it's emotional to people when, yeah. they're, when they feel like they're being stolen from. Well, it's also their jobs, right? Like if that stuff, I mean, if their businesses are not viable because of stolen music, those guys have to find another job. You know, that's not easy for them to do. Well, yeah, I think absolutely. And beyond that, I think there's also like a culture difference between the music industry and Silicon Valley that, uh, you know, that, that people here maybe take things very personally when, you know, on the other side, they're like screaming and then hanging up the phone and just going to lunch and not thinking about it again. You know what I mean? You know, I, I don't know if you've like ordered a sandwich in New York, but like people here apparently they just have no clue. This is just kind of how people are. You know, it's like I said no fucking tomatoes. Like and you know, and then someone's on the phone like being, you know, pissed about someone stealing the Beatles catalog from them. Yeah, of course you're gonna have like a culture clash here. It's basically the equivalent of someone in San Francisco using the wrong emoji or something like that. Or a mean yeah. emoji, you know. Yeah. That's just, that's the equivalent of the yelling over the tomatoes in your sandwich. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, I think that that insight of like, okay, there are rights holders here that are not going to go away, right? I'm actually pretty bullish on the music industry overall. Uh, I was talking to my, my coworker, Aston, um, about this. You know, there's a lot of industries that, like, don't exist anymore. Like, the Internet's actually killed, oh, like, totally. actually killed them. Like, there are empty warehouses, empty buildings. Like, Kodak is now a song by Paul Simon. Yep. Like, it's not a thing anymore. Um, but the music industry is still there. You know, I think like that's something like people forget. And I think we realize like, okay, the music industry is going to stick around and we should work with them. And there's, and, and actually, I mean, before we even got to that point, it was like, there's a lot of opportunity to bring these worlds together because music is, the music industry is not going away and no one's going to disintermediate the labels for at least a very, very long time. Um, and we just said, okay, wh how, 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 what's there? And it spent, honestly, we just spent a bunch of time kind of playing with different things, thinking about different ideas. And that's really like how we, how we ended up coming up with a product that we thought was beneficial to consumers and beneficial to the labels. I mean, at the end of the day, we're not, our pitch to them is not, oh, we're like going to help you deal with piracy. Our pitch is 
everyone here is going to make more money. Fans are going to get things they want. They're going to have a better experience. That's an awesome point. Like the, I can buy the t-shirt I want to buy or the band of horses rare poster that I want. How's have. your poster, Scott? I, I love that poster. Thank yes. you very much. Nailed it. Um, but that, and by the way, that's the kind of stuff that's available on merch bar. It's awesome. But like, I can get that this stuff actually exists for me to buy and have in my house and make me feel good. Whereas like if we destroyed this industry, like what would we all listen to? Like what I don't, you know, I don't know. It would just, I, I think this is actually a pretty good steady state situation right now. Like the music labels are organized and strong enough to fight with the technology companies and the technology companies are strong and have enough money to build really great distribution, but they can't overwhelm the labels like Spotify needs the labels. Live Nation needs the labels. Merch Bar, in a sense, needs the artists that are represented by the labels. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. So I, th I think it's actually like a pretty good situation right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that I think one of the deceptive things about music is people listen to their favorite album and they hear their favorite artist's voice, and there's like this magical like personal connection right i mean that's how like all of i mean almost everyone that works in music got into it because we love music we love musicians like we like live for these like yeah. you know these experiences yep. and i think that that relationship is totally true and it's totally legitimate but it's easy to skip all the other things that go into that like you know your favorite band of horses poster we have a team of people that like oh it was shipped to the wrong address you actually are going to want to talk to someone about that. Yes. That's like actually yeah. a job. And if I knew the band of horses uh, lead singer's name, I'd use his name here. But it's like Tom York from Radiohead is not like emailing people back about like, <laughs> oh, hey, like, sorry that, you know, your new Radiohead shirt is late. Uh, you know, there was a problem with the post office in Chattanooga. I mean, that's just not <laughs> happening. And there's all these other things that go on behind the scenes, like inventory planning. I mean, on the merchandise side, I mean, I can go through all of them, but even on the label side, right? Like figuring out like, oh, this box is going to fit in like these shelves and this end cap is going to have this artist. I mean, there's actually a lot it's of just complicated work. stuff. Super it's complicated. actual work yeah. that yeah. has to be done. And I don't know how many musicians you know, but they're not, <laughs> you know, th th that's just not there. That's yeah. not, and we don't want them doing that anyway. They're not right? like reading Six Sigma books uh, on how <laughs> exactly. GE, uh, you know, industrialized the world on their weekends. You exactly know? right. Exactly so, right. So, dude, people may not understand how amazing your business development success has been. Like, to get these big time artists is pretty amazing. Like, just give us like the quick, the quick hits. Like, what, what's, how did you do this? What worked for you? Is it similar, similar approach to like the App Store where you kind of like did some digging and figured out who the important people to talk to were and figured out what appealed to them or like, how'd you do this? Like, cause the people, I think people can learn from this. Yeah. So one of the big lies that people outside of Silicon Valley or the people that are getting into Silicon Valley think or see, or like, you know, just like understand to be true, even though it's not, is that things are fair, right? There's this like idea that like, Oh, if I built Instagram in like Dubuque, that like Instagram still would have been Instagram, but Instagram was Instagram because of like, not just because it's a great product and it's a murderously amazing product, yep, yep. but it also is what it is because you're in San Francisco. You get like Om Malik on it in the first day. You get MG Siegler on it the first day because you know these people because you're in South Park because you were able to raise half a million dollars from Andreessen Horowitz before you went live because you went to Stanford and you know these guys and you were a product manager at Google. And I think one of the things that we did was we said, you know, what are the things we can do that no one else can do? 
And there's a lot of things that, there's a lot of opportunities out there that only you can do, right? I mean, Mark Zuckerberg started Facebook at Harvard. Like, how did Friendster work out? How do, you know, you think people need to look to their origin story and say, like, well, what are the things that this team can do that no one else can? And they can, they can be different types of things. They don't all have to be, you know, like white dudes at Stanford. Um, but don't try to have, don't try to force your life into someone else's origin yes, story. Yes, so yes. for us, we said, okay, we, you know, my co-founder and I, John Hecker, um, you know, between us have like a, you know, kind of unique set of backgrounds, right? I mean, I'm a pretty like long-term nerdy tech guy. He is a big music guy. John signed Avril Lavigne. Uh, he, you know, owned a publishing company for a while. Wow. And, and wow. this is going to connect a lot of dots to you really quickly. He was the first guy to sell merchandise in mass retail, music merchandise. Uh. He did the initial deals to sell, you know, like the Rolling Stones and Kiss in Kmart and Sears, right? So like a merchandise lifer meets Lifer. a and I say that in a positive way meets a really smart tech guy who loves music but maybe his first music startup didn't go so well because he had to deal with difficult IP owners oh it went and okay by the way it went okay that? the first startup went alright by the way it was good yeah, I didn't mean to, thanks I didn't Scott mean to, I didn't mean to throw you under the bus there I know it went okay sorry I mean it wasn't like a billion dollars whatever I wasn't throwing you under the bus my point is you you two guys had really complementary skill sets you saw the world the same way and you, you kind of recognize that you could work together and bring the best out of each other. Absolutely. And from there, what we did was we went and talked to people and listened really closely. I think um, aligning objectives is incredibly important. I think getting people like marching in the same direction is, you know, it's, it's a key thing. I mean, there's a Jack Welch quote, which I'm going to throw out for you because you're an MBA. Um, and, you know, to all the nerds listening to the podcast that aren't Jack Welch, former CEO of GE, actually wrote a bunch of great books. He's like, show me how someone's paid and I'll show you how they work. Totally. And, you know, we basically just like are like, well, how do we set this up that like everyone can win? And what is it that we really want to do here? And I think, you know, we went, one, we went to the right people because of John's relationships. We were able to work, you know, directly with the right people at these companies that were decision makers. Um, two is we showed them technology that they knew they could not make themselves. Three, we set up uh, business terms that were very low, little downside risk, a lot of upside, you know, That's a lot a of upside for them. Point. Huge point. Because sometimes entrepreneurs get in there and they're like, they're grabby. They're trying to grab a lot of economics and they don't understand that they're working in someone else's ecosystem and they're a guest, so to speak. So you said this earlier, you know, like this is, you know, this is e-com, but it's also a marketplace. It is at, we look at it fundamentally as a marketplace that we're performing like a retailer role. And, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about uh, about pricing that works for everyone. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and mm -hmm. we really also set it up so that, you know, for us to win, like for us to do what we want to do, for us to make a lot of money, this needs to be very big. So, um, you know, that's that's another part of it. And Bill Gurley has like written about this, you know, pretty extensively, you know, like go, go check out his post to talk about like oh, what's the optimal pricing in a marketplace. Usually that's not like 80 percent take rate. His, his article is like called take rates. And it's such an awesome point. But people sometimes entrepreneurs get a little greedy and they don't they don't know. And by the way, it's best to start low and then just kind of work your way up over the years. Like eBay has, has increased their their take quote unquote take rate like many 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 times you don't start you don't start big you start so that you can get into business 
provide a service that people like and have the suppliers, the customers, everyone kind of liking you and using your system. Yeah, I mean, I think we, I would say we look at it just slightly differently as in like we aren't looking like for ways to just increase our rate going forward. We think there's other services we can provide down yeah. the road. If we if we need, you know, more margin, you know, there's a lot of other things we can do down the road that are going to support the whole ecosystem and going to support our partners and going to support customers. Um, so it's not necessarily like, you know, the thin wedge of getting into business and then like when you have leverage, yes, turning should, the yeah, screws on yeah. people. But, um, but that as you get into business, there's other things that you can do that add value that you should be get paid for. If you're adding value, you should get paid for that. Well, if you guys, you guys have so much information. That's what I think is like kind of the, the amazing thing about your business. Like, you know, I bought that band of horses poster and you know, I like Pearl Jam, you know what I'm searching for. I know where you live. Yeah, that too. There's so, and if you can maybe buy concert tickets or something else from you. Like there's a ton of stuff you guys can do. And I think that's a great point. There's some, just to go back, you said something that I thought was really amazing. People uh -oh. need to listen. Pe oh. Listening provides huge benefits. And so many times people are so fired up to tell their story or what, you know, here's how I'm gonna take over the world or whatever. And sometimes they just talk too much and they don't listen to their partners. All right, so I'll give you the, the, the quick story yes. here of like how the company started, because it was not my idea at all. So I'm doing Swift FM, social network for music, and it, it blows up in hip hop, right? It was actually, it was super fun. Um, I got to meet a lot of my idols, right? The guys from A Tribe Called Quest, Heavy D, uh, Questlove and The Roots were all yeah. like pretty big yeah. users. And part of the like virtues of that, which people at home may not recognize, is I am like a pretty short white dude. <laughs> and when you blow up in hip hop, you actually like, and, and you start you know meeting artists and getting to go to things, um, I would spend like a, you know, not, not a ton of time, but a decent amount of time at shows um, where I was the only white guy. So if you're the only white guy and you're back, if you're the only white guy at a show and you're backstage, very obvious conclusion is this guy works for a record label. Oh, I never thought about that. That's so crazy. I don't yeah. work for a record label, yeah. but that did not stop me from getting a lot of demo CDs, a lot of demo CDs. So I'm getting all these CDs and I have no way to listen to them because I have a MacBook Air. I don't own a car. I mean, I literally have no way to listen to this. And we said, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, we'd sold the last company and I was, you know, kind of between things and playing, playing with a few different ideas, made this super simple app for sharing uh, music with people by hand, like where you are. You and I are in the oh, same room. Oh, dude, I remember that, yeah. I can just share, I just share a song with you, right? We called it Cop This. It was super fun and it worked. I actually wanna bring it back. Um, if someone is listening to this, please steal my idea and build it. I'm too busy, but it was really fun and it really worked. Uh, I'll even send you all the wireframes and I'll send I, you all the design assets. That's how we met. We met when you were working on that. Yep. Yeah. So we did that and I randomly was at a party. By the way, the moral of the story here is just party. That's how we started this company. Party, was partying. Meet and go backstage. Um, ran in, I was at a Red Bull party for the for the America's Cup and met uh, the owner of the Cincinnati Reds. Whoa! And in chatting with this guy and, and a couple people that were with us um, at the time, he basically said, "You know, I love what you're doing. Like, I love sharing music. He's like, that'd be really like, you know, I've done some stuff with bands. What if you use this to sell merchandise?" Like, what if, like, when you're at, instead of, like, when you're at the show, like, an artist giving everyone a song, what if, like, it knows you're at the show and you sell merchandise? And that's when we realized, oh, man, there's a huge inefficient. That's really, like, when we started unpacking, like, the inefficiency of this. And we started thinking about it in terms of sports and then realized this is an order of magnitude worse in music. And, well, that's where we're from anyway. I think that's the world we know. 
And it was after that that we actually went out and started trying to work on that idea. We built a company, you know, we built a prototype, raised a, you know a tiny bit of money, and uh, we're out talking to uh, some of the some of the guys at the majors to work with them. And one of the guys said to us, uh, "This is actually Joseph Bon Jovi, uh, who was at AEG at the time. This is John's cousin, Whoa. I think. Really amazing guy. Really amazing guy. And you know, we Does tell him have John's hair. Yeah. Oh. Really amazing guy, like all around." Um, you know, we're sitting there talking and we're like, hey, we want to work with a couple artists. We want to support their tours, like blah, blah, blah. And he said, you know, I'm happy to do that. That's great. Like, I, I think there's a huge opportunity there. But why don't I give you everything all the time? And why don't you do that with everyone? Because there's no one place to go to buy this stuff. And we then took a step back again and said, okay, this is a huge opportunity. And then you start like unpacking all the things you can do there. And it was really, you know, going out, li- listening to that idea from him, going out, talking to customers, talking to fans, talking to rabid fans, talking to intermediate fans, you know, talking to like actual humans. This is like a thing we talk about yeah, all the time yeah. in the office. It's like actual humans, people that are not in San Francisco. Yep. yep. Um, and, and, and that's, and that's really like, that's the genesis of like how the company like really started moving and, you know, going in the direction that we're at. So if I were to recap that, it was listening to a guy at a party who happened to be the owner of Cincinnati Reds, who knows something about merchandise sales. Cause that's mm-hmm. what sports teams do. Yep. And he kind of pointed you in the right direction a little bit. And then that second meeting with uh, Mr. Bon Jovi, it sounds like he just kind of wanted you to take control because it made life easier for him. And, and the revenue opportunity was there. Why, why do it for one band when you could just do it for all the bands he's working with? Right. You know, I mean, it's, it's really, you know, it's just funny. There's just, you know, there's big network effects here that come into play. That if, if your function in the industry is like buying rights and manufacturing things, it's just a different thing. And, um, you know, getting out there and especially, you know, these things that have, you know, components that are B2B, uh, it's really hard to understand those people's motivations without talking to them. It's hard to understand what they're focused on, what their priorities are, what they think is a priority and important, but they don't do themselves, right? I mean, these companies aren't set up to do this stuff. They're not going to, you know, start an an organization of nerds in San Francisco like we are, right? (laughs) It's just a different thing. So, you know, getting out there and learning um, and listening and, you know, and candidly, I mean, one of the reasons we were able to do that is because we were able to get those conversations because of John um, that other people weren't able to. Yep. So um, that's kind of how we got going. Dude, that is a good story. So... I know you got to go here, so tell people where they can find Merch Bar. Obviously, Pearl Jam is happening right now, but you've got tons of other bands on there. They can buy pretty much any band they want. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they have merchandise, we either have them or we'll be getting them soon. Um, and yeah, Merch Bar is on the on the web. It's at merchbar.com. Uh, it's in the App Store. You can search for Merch Bar and get it. M-E-R-C-H-B-A-R, Merch Bar. Clearly, we named it after a bar because we figured out what to do when we were partying. So that was uh, part of your core advice. Core of advice. Party, party, go backstage. Party, go backstage. So that had to be in there. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, we have a right now we have something like uh, over 12,000 artists. We have over 100,000 wow. items. And there's actually some other like big, exciting news coming up that I, I hope we can uh, we can come back and uh, and talk about more in depth. But would love would love anyone that has questions, ideas. We're hiring like crazy. Um, so if you're an engineer or a designer or you're murderous at customer service, um, customer service processes, all those kind of things. Um, it's, you know, when you build a company from scratch, there's a lot of work to do. So smart, interesting, motivated people that love this stuff, give me a, give me a call. Awesome. And if you're looking for a $30,000 Rolling Stones pinball machine, Merch Bar is also the place to go. Dad, free, I hope you're not listening to this. Yeah, free shipping with offer code Scott Orn, <laughs> Cruise Consulting. Awesome. All right. Hey, Ed, thanks so much for coming by. Awesome having you. And thanks for all the lessons. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Scott. All right, take care, man.